Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. We're here to talk about the bowl game. Kevin, it's, it's been a week since we learned that Kansas is headed to the Guaranteed Rate Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona on December 26th. K will be taking on UNLV. Um, a lot has happened in the last week, Kevin. Kansas has gotten its bold destination. It yep. has lost its offensive coordinator and found a new offensive coordinator. And yep. the transfer portal has opened and just two Kansas players, only one on scholarship, have entered. It's been a a, a pretty busy stretch, but one that I think, too, you know, when you look at other schools, Kevin, I feel like this could be even busier um, for KU and probably fortunate for the staff that it's not been super busy. But since the last time we talked after Thanksgiving weekend, what you been up to? Yeah, yeah. Um it was uh it, it was just kind of a, a wild week for KU and uh and then, you know, in terms of coverage and stuff really nailing down college football, you know, it's awards season and you know, mm. obviously dealing with all of the the gripes about Florida State not getting in or people saying it's perfect that Florida State's not getting in. And then, you know, all uh, all of the stuff on top of that. And then, you know, like we were talking just before we started, had a chance to, to go into Lawrence last night for a, for a big band Christmas with, with some friends. And, uh, it was a, uh, it was a good time. How about you? What have you been up to? Work. There. It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been up to. That'll do it. Um, That'll do it. you know, it, that it's kind of that time of year. I, I'm happy, you know, Kevin, this next week's a little quieter. Um, yeah. With basketball, right? It's finals week for the students, so basketball is not as crazy. The coaches will sure. be out recruiting for some part of the week, so we'll see what happens with transfer portal visitors and all that. So this week will be a little recharge week for me. But, Kevin, let's dive into the bowl game um, first and yeah. foremost. You know, I think this first – and you know, I think you look at this bowl game a lot of different ways. Uh, on one hand, right, I think it's a really tough one for fans. December 26th, it's a hard day it's not necessarily yeah. lending itself to people going and spending the time before the bowl that maybe Memphis did right. Where the Memphis sure. bowl felt like you could fly out on the 26th or 27th, spend a day or two, maybe three days in Memphis and then fly home the day after the bowl game where this one, you know, are you going to fly into Phoenix on the 23rd? Are you going to go on Christmas Eve or Christmas? Like it seems like at least from some of the people I've talked to, some people are going to fly in the day of the bowl and stay a few days after, but it's been, it's a little bit of a different, different challenge, I think for KU. And look, I do think this is also a, it's a good bowl 
right? This is the offset sure. of the Fiesta Bowl. It's the same people that run the Fiesta Bowl, same policies, all that stuff. So the players are going to have a great time. Uh, I know for us, you know, reporters when we're there will get treated really well, which is awesome. But I think this is one that's a challenge for fans. So, I mean, Kevin, you, you're friends with a lot of KU fans too. What's kind of been the the vibe about this game? Because I feel like the, the matchup too, Kevin, you know, UNLV, it's not a name brand, flashy Nebraska, you know, Wisconsin name that it could have been. Yeah, I mean, when you when you looked at a few weeks ago, you know, Kansas was kind of getting projected into that Pop Tarts Bowl range. Um, projected opponent was Notre Dame, you know, stuff like that. The types of things that you know can get somebody to make a bowl trip. I, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. Arkansas was exciting last year. I think the fact that it was so drivable, you know, su- such an easy trip. And like you said, you know, you talked to people around Memphis last year, and I know both of us went, you went um, and covered it. I went as a spectator. You know, store owners and people all around Memphis were talking about, wow, Kansas fans really, you know, took over Memphis last year. I'm not sure I see that happening in in Phoenix this time. And, you know, and the other part is, is, you know, last year was Kansas's first bowl in a really long time. And so, even people that I feel like might not have made a bowl trip, you know, typically made that bowl trip because they saw what a big deal is this year. As, as weird as it sounds, it's old hat because of of last year's bowl. You talked about the UNLV thing. And and I think if people dug into UNLV a little bit, I think the opponent would actually be a positive because UNLV Mm -hmm. is a, a lot of fun to watch. But I, I think just from a name standpoint, your average fan, UNLV is not a team that, that gets people up in the morning. And I think even from a standpoint beyond that, a, sort of a general uh, how college football looks at this game type of thing, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a, a lose-lose situation, right? Because if you go and, and you win even by a significant margin – Oh, you're supposed to. It's UNLV, and if you wind up losing, uh, which Kansas is capable of losing this game, UNLV is is not a bad team. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, "Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe you lost to UNLV," and so it it is kind of a really tricky bowl trip, I think, for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, and I think for KU, you know, they'll be motivated for this sure. game, right? trying to win your first bowl game um, of this era. And I think for a lot of these guys, they're going to be playing in their last games. You know, we talked about senior day, Kevin, right? And how kind of a, for some of those guys, probably it was an emotional day. Well, think about guys like, you know, Kenny Logan, Mason Fairchild, Rich Miller, Jason Bean, right? The guys that are going to play their final game at Kansas in, you know, uh, two, a little over two weeks, you know, they want to go out with the win and end yeah. it with the bowl and so the motivation factor like that will be there i think you're right though kevin like if i were to read off the stats you hear for unlv like their offense is great right they average 34 points a game which was number 24 in the country yeah. you know offensively they average six yards per play they are a really really good passing attack right over 200 yards of offense per game over 60 percent completion percentage you know not the most explosive run game but this is a UNLV team, right? They score a lot of points. They also allow a lot of points, right? You look at their yep, total offense. Sure. They're allowing over 400 yards per game. 
opponents are rushing 4.3 yards per carry. Like this is a game that I have not even looked Kevin at what the over under is in Las Vegas, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of one of those I'm joking here, but it's like, it's a print. It's a principal play. Like sure. even these defense can't stop anybody. Their offense is good. We'll see if KU's defense is able to play well, but I think KU's offense should be able to um, score some points against UNLV. So I think like this w- should end up being a fun bowl game, right? Yeah, yeah, it I agree. Be a fun game to watch, even if seven years down the road, Kevin, if we're still doing this podcast and we look back and and say, oh, well, you remember the, you know, the the, the bowl game in 2023, and you're like, oh yeah, wait, who are they playing again? I don't really, rem-. you know, it's not going to be one of those games that lasts right in your memory. Um, because of the opponent. But I think this still should be a very, very fun game to watch. And I think that's all you can ask for sometimes too with these bowl games. Cause right. So many times these games are just such a drag, right? If you're sitting on your couch watching Christmas Eve or on the 27th or 28th, like these games can be a drag sometimes, right? It can be a 21 17 game. You're just like, what are we doing? Like this should be exciting. This should be a track meet, a game that has people into it for four quarters. And I think that is a positive for at least the fan experience and probably for the player experience too. Yeah. And the, you know, the one downside that we didn't talk about, you know, Jaden Maiava, the the quarterback from UNLV hit the transfer portal. No, he, he did not. Back. No, he did not. No, did that, not. Was a fit, oh, that, was, yes. that was an inaccurate report from was- a different website that gets things wrong all the time. So, Oh, Oh, there we go. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a good deal. But when you watch UNLV's offense too, you know, it, in some ways, it's a little bit like looking in a mirror. I mean, they do a lot of creative stuff in terms of the way they move their guys around. They do some fun formation things. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about the running game not being especially explosive. Their running game may be the more fun part to watch, though, with some of the things that they do and um, and how they, how they line guys up, you know, three guys in the backfield sometimes and, and different things that they do. And, and it's kind of funny because – uh, UNLV has a terrific defensive head coach in Barry Odom. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, they are running this really fun offense, but at the same time, you give Barry Odom a, a month to prepare for your offense and, and all the things, you know, there, you know, maybe, maybe UNLV's defense is able to play a little bit better with that extra prep time and, and all of those things. And the flip side is also true. You know, you give Brian Borland, a month to drill down into UNLV's tendencies, give a month for guys to really understand the gaps that they have to get into and, and all the different things like that. Mm-hmm. I find it a really interesting motivational um, piece because uh, I think that you made a really good point about the seniors. Uh, I think you sell this in two different ways for the underclassmen. For one, you sell them on, hey, these seniors have been through it, man. Like this is your chance to send them out the right way. But the other part of it is you look them in the eye and you say, you guys say you want to be big 12 title contenders, show it. You guys are coming back next year. Mm -hmm. You know, this is your audition for us heading into this off season to try and stake your claim, to try and show us that, Hey, you know, we can be that kind of a team and, that you can be a part of that kind of team. You mm. can play a major role on that kind of team. And so I, I think that that's the other motivational part of this. If you're, you know, Lance Leipold and the staff is, you know, you're talking to the younger guys and you're saying to them, Hey, you know, this is, 
this is one to send the seniors off, but for you, this is the first game of 2024. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think who did Dan Mullen have that terrible quote, the 20, oh, yeah. the, the whatever year team, that team died at the end of last season. This is a totally different, like that's not going to be the case for this one, but I think you're so, right. Somebody had a, a terrific meme about that. They, um, they replaced Dan Mullen with Darth Vader at the podium. <laughs> And Darth Vader said, well, the Death Star wasn't even finished, but okay. Like, you know, <laughs> it, you know it, it was it was it was hysterical. It was one of the better like post bowl things that that I could remember Dan Mullen just being like, Well, that team's dead. Like this is, you know, this team's barely even played whatever it was, and it's just like take take the L man, take take the loss. You guys the lost biggest rule ever. Well, I, I, let's get we can talk some bowl practice stuff at the end. Um sure. But I think it's probably a good transition here, Kevin. So Jim Zabrowski will call plays for yep. in the bowl game. Kansas has hired Jeff Grimes from BYU to be its next offensive coordinator. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday. Grimes observed his first practice at Kansas on Saturday. Lance Leipold said they're taking it like 72 hours at a time with him right now. And he's going to watch practice right now. He's going to learn about how Kansas does practice. And I thought this was a really interesting story that Leipold told when we met them on Saturday. When Grimes got let go, you know, late last month, Leipold actually reached out to him to come up to Lawrence to watch some practices and observe. And, and that's something that happens a lot with coaches, sure. right? They ask each other to come watch practice. Hey, give your take on this. And then when Kornicki decided to take the Penn State job, Leipold changed that conversation from, hey, you know, would you be interested in being our next offensive coordinator? And it works out. Let's talk about the fit in a second here. But sure. for the bowl game, right, Jim Zabrowski is going to call plays. This is going to be, I believe, the first time he's called plays since, at least with Leipold, since, right, he was the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin-Whitewater. Um, yeah. I'm fascinated to see how this works because this isn't necessarily even an audition for someone like Jim Zabrowski, right? They ha Leipold has said that Grimes is going to call plays next year. So I think it's a really interesting case where you got someone that is going to call the game. They're going to be one of the lead guys and making the game plan. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see what this looks like to see if there's any other wrinkles that they do, or if they continue to run the same kind of offense with the same kind of sequencing and, and play calls. Yeah. In some ways it, it's almost kind of like when Jordan Peterson got sort of his one game, oh, yeah. you know, with Brian Borland being out, obviously I don't think, uh, from what I remember about that, he didn't have a month to prepare for that as, you know, hey, he was right. he was going to be calling that game, which is a little bit different with, with Zabrowski. But I, I think, you know, one of the fun things is if you've seen Zabrowski at practice or, or even just after practice, he's kind of a fun, kooky, you know, creative guy. You know, he, he maybe sees things a, a little bit differently. Obviously, Andy Kotelnicki saw things, uh, a, you know, very differently than a lot of people. But I'm interested to see him put it, put his spin on it, you know, because like mm. you said, it's not him going out and, and, you know, Leipold saying, hey, have a good game and maybe you're calling plays next year. It, it is kind of a one-off, but it does allow him to call things within Kansas's offense, but also put his own spin on it. And every play mm. caller does put their own spin on it. I'm sure we'll get into that more with Grimes, but, you know, is, is there something specific that you're looking for? 
um, with Zabrowski that you think, hey, maybe he'll do this a little bit differently than, than Kotelnicki in this game? Not particularly, because I think for a game like this, right, KU was called a specific offense this year. Sure. And with Bean, they've done specific things. And yes, I, I think Jason Bean will be KU starter for the bowl game. Sure. That's just my really take on it. You know, we'll have to see what happens with Daniels and if he's available and how that works out. But um, I think Bean has deserved, right, the start yeah. for the bowl game. But I don't know if I look for anything in particular that's super special. Um, honestly, for me, like Kevin, the mo- one of the more intriguing dynamics here is that Zabrowski has been on the field during his Kansas career, right? He's been an on-field coach while Kotelnicki has been in the booth. Well, Leipold said on Saturday that Grimes is going to call the game from the field, and there's a chance now that Zabrowski will actually move up to the booth and be up there next season, right? For the last three years, KU's had both their coordinators up in the booth, um, and that's just the way they've done it. So that's interesting to me is – how like does Zabrowski go up to the booth to call this game for the bowl game to start kind of getting used to that and, and I don't know, getting comfortable up there. But I just think that's an interesting dynamic here, but in terms of play calling, like I'm not sure if I'm looking for anything in particular, because you're right. It's kind of a one-off game and maybe you see some flair, but I, you know, I don't know. So it's a one-off game. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think you're absolutely right about Jason being it. And we've talked about him, you know, quite a bit, but the way Jason Bean ended the year, I mean, he was playing a terrific quarterback at, at the end of the year. When you look at the Iowa State game, when you look at the way he ended against Cincinnati, you know, it, it wasn't – there would have been a case, even if he hadn't played at that level, to still start Jason Bean with how much he played this year and, and everything he did. But I think that the way that he ended the year playing at the level that he was playing, I, I think he really did – you know, kind of nail down that spot where you say, okay, like this, mm-hmm. it, it's your show. And, and if, if Jalen's healthy, maybe, maybe you toss him in a little bit here and there, you know, have a, have a little fun with it. It is a bowl game, but I do think that uh, if it were me, you know, and, and even if Jalen's healthy, I think you, you give the start to Jason Bean based on what he's done this year. Yeah, I agree. So let's dive into the hire of Jeff Grimes then. Sure. This is one that I think is really fascinating. And it, you can look at this hire a lot of different ways, Kevin. Yep. If you want to look at it through the lens of Jeff Grimes is one of the hottest coaching names two years ago, right? Yep. Led BYU to one of the most explosive offenses in 2020. And that really, really good BYU team. He made Zach Wilson look like a, a, a top five pick. Like he must be a magician from what we've seen from him in the NFL. Um, But then he goes to Baylor and 2021 season and folks should go back and watch the video I did uh, after Grimes is officially hired. Cause I compared the stats, Kevin, between Baylor's 2021 season and what KU's offense was this season. And they are nearly identical in terms of the way stats are spread out, the way they run things. So this was an offense that was really potent in 2021. And then Baylor lost a lot of guys in 2022. It took a step down. And then this year it took another step down and Dave Aranda had to have a a sacrificial lamb, so to speak. And him being a defensive coach, it, you, you go to the offense and and say, okay, well, I got to change something here. And Grimes was the guy that had to be let go, but Baylor's got their own issues. And I mentioned this in in that little video 
their NIL is not great. They've not really recruited the portal very well. And so yep. the talent level went down. And that's not on the offensive coordinator. The sure. offensive coordinator, it's not their job to go out and recruit the off the players, right? They're a, a key piece in recruiting, but it's on the position coaches, it's on the personnel department. And at Baylor, that has not gone well because you look at the roster now and it does not look anywhere near as strong as it did when Dave Aranda took over. So what do you think about the hire, Kevin? Because I think I look at it and say, this is one that should work schematically. It's a lot of the same stuff. I think Grimes has shown when he's got good personnel, they can have a really good offense. And I have trust in KU's personnel department to continue to have good players on offense. Yeah, and you look at that 2021 team that you were talking about, they had kind of uneven quarterback play out of Jerry Bohannon. You know, they didn't have – Bohannon wasn't even the player that that Jason Bean was, you know, much less the player that that Jalen Daniels is. And they still have that kind of offense, you know, Mm -hmm. with with him at quarterback. I think this year there's a lot that unless you really drill down into it, you might not understand offensively. I think on the offensive line, Baylor was really inexperienced, not necessarily from an age standpoint, but none of the guys had played together, right? They had a couple young guys that were coming up. They did get a couple guys in the portal, but offensive line is so much about chemistry and guys playing together and developing that comfort level. And this year's Baylor offensive line just didn't have that. And when you look at why offenses struggle – if you don't have the offensive line to protect your quarterback where he can throw it downfield, that's going to be a problem. If your offensive line isn't going to open holes in the running game, that's a problem. It's going to affect everything. And even beyond that, Baylor's defense, you know, arguably struggled even more than its offense did this year. Mm-hmm. And so there were issues kind of kind of all over the place. But even if you look back last year after they had lost a bunch of guys from 2021, and you hammer down on, you know, some of the things. They wound up having Richard Reese as a freshman, right, run for almost a 1,000 yards and 14 touchdowns. They had, you know, two more backs run for 450-plus and another 11 touchdowns. So they still had guys that could really run the ball. And while they weren't super consistent throwing it, they did have two receivers, you know, who had over 500 yards receiving who also averaged more than 17 yards a catch. So they were pushing the ball downfield in the passing game. Mm. And that wasn't their best offense. And so you can see a lot of that stuff. But what you were talking about, too, when you watch Baylor and you watch what they did at BYU, it's very similar to what Kansas does in terms of the motions Mm -hmm. that they do. You know, the the buzzword for KU when, when the Leipold staff took over was was wide zone, right? You know, you probably heard that about 350 times over the first, we want to run wide zone. We want to run wide zone. We want to run wide zone. And how many times in that first year did Kansas sort of run wide zone and not get a whole lot of yardage out of it mm. because the players weren't there yet. You know, Devin Neal was stepping into a comfort zone as a freshman. The offensive linemen weren't quite where they needed to be yet. And so it didn't look real great to, to run, to run wide zone. Baylor is a wide zone team. It's a buzzword there too. And they do a lot of the similar things. I think, one of the things that's going to be interesting for me, Baylor obviously didn't run the amount of option 
that Kansas did under Andy Kotelnicki, and that was something that Kotelnicki was incredibly comfortable with. It was really in his wheelhouse. And so I'm interested to see, you know, does Kansas sort of stick with as many option looks Mm -hmm. under Grimes? I'm not sure about that part of it, but I still think a lot of the other things that you're going to see, the the wide zone, the motion, the way that they do a lot of different things, and then the way the they attack the field down the field with you know sort of these these chunk plays. I think especially off of play action, I think a yeah. lot of those things are going to be very very similar. Yeah, I, so I think you nailed it, Kevin. Right in terms of what the at least for K for KU Grimes adapting to KU, I think the sure. option game is going to be the biggest thing that's going to change now. What about what Grimes brings to KU that's different? Well, Leipold mentioned that he really likes the screen game that yeah. Grimes has um, instituted, used, whatever, in his past stops. I, Kevin, I spent way too much time on Friday, like watching <laughs> old film rooms of Grimes and old interviews and stuff. I like the jet sweep stuff that he does. You yeah, know, I don't know if Kansas necessarily has like an exact person to do that. I think it's probably Trevor Wilson, maybe Quentin Skinner, but I, I like that part of it. And I think, Kevin, this is the biggest thing under center. Kansas yep. will, I, he's done under center at BYU and Baylor. So I'd have to think there are some elements of that that will be brought to Kansas. That's a pretty big difference compared to being yep, a big sure. shotgun or pistol team that Kansas was under Kornicki. I think for Jalen Daniels, that's going to help in the pro evaluation for him going forward because obviously NFL teams are under center and for Daniels to have at least a season of experience being able to say, Hey, I've done this before is big. And I think even for KU's young players now, it's a good spot for this transition to happen because Cole Ballard's coming off of his first season, right? He would have learned a lot this year, but it's not like he's in his fourth year. And then you've got Isaiah Marshall enrolling early. And so you've got these quarterbacks now that, okay, if Grimes is going to be Kansas's guy for the next however long, well, that means they're going to have time to learn how to do under center, how hard it is when you do a play action, you turn your back to the defense, and you turn around again to throw the ball, and it's a totally different picture than the last time you saw it. And I think that ability to process is going to take some time for some of those young guys to to figure it out. So – I'm fascinated to see what this offense looks like. And obviously Grimes is going to coach tight ends. It's a perfect fit at Kansas where you've got, you know, Trevor Cardell, Jared Casey, and even some young guys like Jaden Hammer, Carson Brune coming in. It's a very good fit in terms of the staff. I think he's going to bring some new ideas and new things to continue to evolve. Right, Kevin, because the 2023 offense is not the same as the 2022 offense and the 2022 offense is nowhere near the same as the 2021 offense. And so it's all about evolution. And I feel like Grimes can bring in little different things that will help this evolution continue. And the biggest thing, Kevin, that I I heard him say is that he is not coming into this with a, we're going to run my thing. Sure. He talked about Kansas's offense has had a lot of success. And he said, this is a great quote. He's like, hopefully I don't screw it up. I was like, yeah, yeah that's a good way to go. That's a good way to look at it. So give, give me your thoughts on the, the schematic stuff. Cause I think there's a lot we could talk yeah. about in the future too, with the way this could go. Yeah. I, I think, you know, you look at a lot of the programs that have had staying power, right. And you look at, you know, let's take Oklahoma state as an example, because mm-hmm. Oklahoma state's been really good for a long time under Mike Gundy. 
And every offensive coordinator that has come in has run Oklahoma State's system. You know, whether it's Dana Holgorsen, whether it's somebody else, they've added a little twist here or there because they've all been a little bit different. But mm. for the most part, they've used, you know, they've used the same terminology. You know, they've used the same, you know, play set. You know, maybe Casey Dunn calls something a little bit differently than than Holgorsen does or calls it a little more often. But overall, the offensive coordinators that come through Oklahoma State, they run Oklahoma State's offense, not their offense. And I think mm -hmm. you try and find somebody that runs an offense similar to what you run, and I think you found that here uh, with Jeff Grimes. I think there are some things that he's going to do differently, like we kind of talked about, maybe more screens, maybe more jet sweep, maybe a little bit less um, option stuff. I'm interested to see if a guy like Johnny Thompson maybe carves out a role as a jet sweep type guy. Okay. Um, you know, he, even though he's a running back rather than a wide receiver, you know, potentially as a guy who has some home run hitting ability, you know, maybe that's something that gets added to his play. You look at a guy that, you know, Kansas could have had a class ago in, in a guy like Trey Richardson, and maybe Trey Richardson, it, when you're going through recruiting, has a different role now where you're saying to him, hey, this jet sweep role, that's you, you know, as opposed to kind of what they had before where it was kind of an uneven fit as, you know, you're a running back, but we're going to have you in some all-purpose stuff, at least from Trey Richardson's point of view, right? Like, I think the Kansas coaches had a very real idea of this is how we want to use you. I'm not sure Richardson was was quite as on board, you know, with, with what they were doing. And the only reason I bring that up is to say um, that you could see some differences in recruiting too. You could see Kansas recruit maybe a a slightly different guy for some of these different roles. You know, maybe a running back who who catches the ball really well that you see as a screen threat becomes a little bit more of a priority as opposed to maybe a one cut guy like a Harry you know Stewart type of type of guy. And so I do think that part's going to be interesting too, is does, does Kansas change a little bit with that? I don't think it's going to be a big change for the men, for the reason you mentioned, which is Kansas's personnel department. Like they're the ones making these decisions for the most part. I'm not saying that the position coaches don't have say or whatever else, but they're mm. the guys who kind of say, this is kind of the kind of player that we need and and kind of moving forward. And I'm not saying again. I'm not saying they're. I'm not saying they get final say or anything like that. I'm saying they're putting in a lot of the front end work, and so by nature, the fingerprints that they put on who KU's recruiting, it, it's going to last no matter what. I feel like, but I, I don't know. It, it's it'll be really interesting to see if Kansas does go out and try and add a player or two via the portal or or whatever else that may fit Grimes more specifically than, than what they would have done under, under Andy Kotelnicki. But for the most part, like you were saying, it's going to be pretty similar. And I, I think that when you look at, at wide zone, you know, in particular, the different motions and things are going to do with that. The most important part is it fits Devin Neal and it fits Daniel Hyshaw and it fits this offensive line, right? The way that they built this offensive line, the way that, you know, they they have those running backs and the things that they do, you know, 
that's going to be a major strength once again. And I do think that one of the areas that Kansas could potentially be a little bit more effective is Andy Kotelnicki was wonderfully creative. Kansas was not always the best in short yarded situations. And I think that putting a quarterback up under center one and two, you know, maybe leaning in a little bit more to that, you know, traditional running game part of it, rather than potentially being cute in some of those instances, you know, is something that that could help Kansas out as well. Yeah. And listening to some of the stuff that Grimes had to say about what he wants his offense to be, you know, in the past, he's called it RVO, reliable, violent offense. And I think yeah. obviously that's when he says that, I'm like, that sounds like Lance Leipold, yeah. right? Where you hear Leipold all the time talk about, well, we can't shoot ourselves in the foot, right? You got to be reliable and reliable being you execute, you don't make mistakes, you line yeah. up in the right spots. That sounds like Leipold. And then violent at the point of attack. How often do we hear Leipold this season talk about physicality, being the more yeah. physical team? So I think that fits. And, and Grimes has said he's not sure if that's going to be the phrase they use or any of that. That goes back into the whole he's going to see in this kind of period where he observes practice. The other thing he mentioned was that he wants to have athletic linemen. And what's the thing that Scott Fuchs has recruited? It's guys that are athletic yeah. linemen that at Kansas will need to put on more weight but have that profile at the high school level. So I think top to bottom, it's going to fit. Um, yeah. Portal-wise, you mentioned, Kevin, no, they're not going to do that. Um, yeah. I think tight ends like the one offensive position um, outside of offensive line that they will recruit right now, unless there sure. are more departures. That's something that Leipold has talked about too. KU's at a point now where they ha- they matched up the guaranteed departures, right, the seniors, with sure. the high school class. So it's 16 for 16, and now it's, it's one in, one out in the portal. So yeah. – if wide receiver leaves, then yeah, maybe KU go gets a wide receiver. But it's going to be like that, I think, going forward, at least for this portal cycle. So that'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. Let's get to spring or not spring practice. We're not there yet. Get to the pole prep practices. So KU's doing flying by for it the spring yeah, already. I know, man. Well, I'll tell you what, Kevin. I'll blink and it's going to be April. Uh, oh, that's yeah. how that's how this works now. So KU's going to do the schedule and they did this last year where the coaches go out on the road early in the week. So I yep. think KU practiced Sunday morning, Lance Leipold leaves Sunday. He's out recruiting for a good portion of the week. You know, this past week, the coaches were out. They got back Thursday. They practiced Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they'll do the same thing this week where they'll be out. They'll come back Friday, Saturday, Sunday practice. And then it's a dead period. So then I think they'll practice more during the dead period because they won't be able to go out and recruit because it's national signing day week. But this is going to be a big time for, I think some of these younger guys for KU Sure, because Leipold has mentioned it too. This is different than last year where KU was still kind of in that middling spot in terms of the roster where it was starting to get a little old, but it was still some young guys where now this is an old team. You look next year right there. I believe there's something like, let me pull it up real quick. KU next year is going to have an absurd amount of players in their final year. Yeah, 23 players will be in their final year of eligibility, scholarship players next year. And so KU as a result is taking a different approach where those older guys maybe aren't going to get as many reps during this period. And it's going to be really big for those guys who were in their first and second year in the program. So this is the time for those guys like a Calvin Clements 
someone like Logan Brantley at linebacker, Jamil Croft at cornerback, where those guys are going to get a good amount of practice reps, right? Leipold said they're going to practice 12 times before they go to Phoenix, and it's going to be huge for those guys. Can you just learn and get better and improve? You don't have to try and win a starting job right now, but can you learn and improve and get better so that spring practice comes and they're ready to take that next step? So like Kevin, when it comes to these bowl practices, what are you looking for? Yeah, I'm looking to see the first Leipold High School guys break through. And, and, you know, people who say the first, look look at the game participation charts for the entire season. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that the guys that played are a combination of of less miles guys or transfer portal guys. The the Lance Leipold High School guys haven't broken through yet. And, And that's... That's by design, right? Like Kansas has been getting older and, and and everything else. And when they've had holes, they've gone and, you know, sought out an experienced portal guy to to fill that hole. But we're getting to the point where some of those guys are, are going to start sliding off, right? Like Mason Fairchild mm-hmm. graduated. Trevor Cardell is going to be back next year, but he's going to be graduating soon. And so you want to see the Jaden Hams start to peek their heads out and start making plays on Saturdays. You want to start seeing, you know, Calvin Clements break into this group. And I realize he'd be a redshirt freshman offensive lineman. It's hard for redshirt freshman offensive linemen to break into established groups. And so even if he doesn't win a spot next year, that doesn't necessarily say anything negative about him. You know, mm-hmm. Jamil Croft, if Kansas brings back, you know, its cornerbacks in Mello Dotson and uh, and Kobe Bryant, it's tough to break into that group if you're a young corner. But Croft has a lot of ability. And I think that's what you want to see from these bowl practices. You know, I, I remember covering Texas one year and Texas used to do, they used to have a veterans practice, like at the start of the season in like August. They'd have like a veterans practice and then they'd have like a newcomers practice pretty much Mm. so that as a true freshman at that point, you weren't, you know, throwing on your pads or, you know, throwing on your helmet for the first time and going up against the seniors, you were learning how stuff works. But after the first week, one of the things that Brown had said was we wanted to see basically out of the young guys, we know they're going to be uneven. They're young guys, but you want to see that flash that shows you, this is why we recruited this guy. This is Mm. why we brought this guy to Texas. And I I think that when you look at the young guys getting reps, you know, through bowl practice, that's what you want to see, right? Like it's not that Jamil Croft has to look like a future all American, but you want to see flashes there that show you, this is why we brought the kid into Kansas. And this is why, he can be an effective player here. And you look at, at this past class in particular, you know, and the freshman there with, you know, uh, Siraz Buncombe, you know, you look at Johnny Thompson, you know, Jaden Ham. you want, you know, Marcus Calvin, you know, would be really nice to see some things from him. Tony Terry, you know, Keaton Quebecca was a guy that, that had sort of a nice, um, uh, spring and fall you'd like to see things from him logan brantley like you mentioned you want to see those guys not just get reps at this point but sort of do things within those reps that make you feel like this guy's going to be a legitimate part of the program for years to come yeah exactly and lipo made a good point it's 27 practices that those guys will get 
between now and the end of spring. And overall, it is two spring practices. Yep. And that's huge for learning time, development, time on task. And it's so interesting to look back now at obviously the years Kansas didn't make a bowl on how how much more sped up the development of players could have been if you're in the, these bowl yeah. games. And that's why it's so important for being a consistent program because these young yeah, guys uh, and K, KU's got spots that they need guys to step up in. And these are the practices that will help when spring ball comes. And it is time for those guys to step into those roles and start that process. They're ready instead of taking half of spring ball to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, we keep bringing up Croft, but He's going to get reps with the ones at some of these practices and, you know, an interception or something like that, that just spurs the confidence of saying, mm-hmm. Hey, I can play at this level. And then you head into the spring with that confidence and, and all of that adds up, you know, like you were talking about to be a consistent program, you think about how many years in a row Kansas state went to a bowl and Kansas didn't. And how many mm-hmm. years you think about all those practices you know, 12 to 15 practices every single year over the course of, a, of somebody's career, you know, you're, you're talking about 60 practices if you're talking about 15 practices. So, you know, 15 extra practices over four years for a K-State player that he gets that a KU guy doesn't, you know, that that's a big deal. And, and all of a sudden, Kansas is, you know, starting to get that year after year. The young guys are, are going to get that experience, it's just, you can't even really put it into words, like how vital it is to get that extra preparation time for these guys. And, you know, put another way, Leipold didn't even get a spring his first year. I mean, he was hired, you know, he was hired, I think, right before the second to last practice, because I think he spoke to the guys after the second to last practice was done. And then he watched the spring game, basically. But he didn't coach them during the spring at all. They didn't have a spring. And now you're talking about these guys getting two springs, basically, mm-hmm. because of the bowl practices. It it adds up. You saw you saw his first team struggle a lot in terms of – because they were still putting stuff in. They were behind because they didn't get a spring together and all those different things. And this is the exact opposite. You're, you're getting multiple spring practices here. Exactly. So big month for KU. Obviously, yeah. Kevin, we can talk about the more portal stuff next Sunday. I think there'll be a little bit more movement. And plus yeah. at that point, too, we can get a little bit of a national signing day preview. We got plenty of yeah. recruiting stuff going on up on the website, some interviews with some of the current commits. KU did have a junior day on Saturday, so I'm in line to talk with a couple of those guys on Sunday. So make sure you're checking out the website. Plenty of recruiting intel information for the VIP folks. And if you're not VIP, we've got a 50% off sale running through Monday. So if you're listening to this Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, make sure you take advantage of that sale while it's around $4.50 a month for the next year. A lot going on though, Kevin. Basketball is going to have a little bit of time off, but we're getting close to conference play. I was thinking about this the other day. Just a handful of basketball games left, and then all of a sudden it's the slog of the Big 12 this year, which oh, yeah. looks like yeah. it's going to be tough and, once again. Yeah, yeah, and this year in particular, you know, it, it seems like, you know, more than – the Big 12 has always been a slog, but it feels like adding the extra teams with how well yeah. some of the new teams are playing, how well some of the teams that weren't 
expected to be as good like an Oklahoma have been like this. This year is going to be one of those years where it's like, hey, you're going to feel great because you just beat Baylor on Big Monday. And then you're going to come out that next Saturday with no energy against an Oklahoma or somebody and get beat. It's just that's that's going to be what what happens because it's it's going to be so tough. Yeah, and this best part about this too, Kevin. Right, it, it is a year-round thing now. College yeah. sports have taken over. It is a it's a year-round thing, and that's exciting. I think because there's always stuff to talk about. So we'll be back next week it's, with another podcast. So I'm sure. Uh-huh. It, it, it's just it's so funny because you know obviously everybody's familiar I think with John Rothstein and his his whole shtick and you know we sleep in May and and everything and it's like well now you can't really sleep in May because that's that's hashtag portal season so like, I sleep in July yeah it's like so yeah there's and then you know you and I will wind up going to KU camps and, and stuff like that through June and July and there will be different evaluation opportunities to see guys at different camps in the summer. And yeah, there's not really a month that you can point to and and say over the whole month. Yeah. There's, there's nothing going on. We'll just go ahead and take that month off. It it really has become, you know, 12 months a year. Yeah. And it hasn't, I mean, I, I was with my girlfriend at something on Friday night and someone asked me, Oh, like what's your schedule look like? Like, when are you free? I'm like, well, like, there's a, there's like a two week period in July that, that I've got some time. <laughs> right. It, it's right before big 12 media not. days, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit before big yeah. 12 media days, maybe a week or two after before camp starts, but I'm not complaining. I, I love it. It's, it's a, oh, it's a it's great, great job. Keeps me busy and, and everything. Well, Kevin, that'll do it. We got to get this podcast up and out to people. We're late. Yep. We owe them a podcast. We slacked right. this past week. We won't slack next Sunday. We'll be back with another episode. Um, for Kevin Flaherty, I'm Michael Swain. Thanks as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. We'll talk to you again. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+. Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.